Luke chapter 22. Easter Sunday is 49 days away. Which last week it seemed longer, 56. Doesn't 56 seem way longer than 49? I just got scared. 49 days, oh no, you know. And as we're studying through the Gospel of Luke here, Jesus is about to be arrested and betrayed, and he's about to be crucified, and on the third day, he'll raise from the dead. We call it Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, sort of the Lord's Day. And we're going to be studying that reality, hopefully just in conjunction with our study time through the Gospel of Luke. I had some emails and messages this week, people declaring, I'm going to get baptized on Easter Sunday. People already making that decision. We do water baptisms at the 8 a.m. service, the 10 a.m. service, the 12 p.m. service, and the 6 p.m. service. It's amazing. So if you haven't yet been water baptized or feel compelled to, I would say do it on Easter Sunday right here at South Beach Church, and we'll celebrate with you uh, what Jesus has done and is doing in your lives. Uh, we're going to study right now one of, I believe, the most important uh, lessons in the Bible as we're going to see the character of God contrasted to the character of man. We're going to see what God does and who Jesus is, and we're going to see what Peter does and who Peter is. And Peter's my favorite disciple, my favorite apostle, because he's so likable and he's so like me. He, he had foot and mouth disease. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. And Peter, Piper, piping up all the time and, man, just saying stuff. And, and yet Jesus used him powerfully because of his tenacity, his willingness. Peter was ready to take on a whole legion of soldiers at one point. And yet Jesus had to do a work in Peter, listen, before, Peter, before Jesus could do a work through Peter. And right now as you sit with the person next to you, Jesus is doing a work in you, so he might do a greater work through you. That's what he's doing right now, I promise you. He's done works through you already. He had done things through Peter thus far. He'd already done stuff. But Jesus looked into the future and said, Peter, I got, I got even more for you to do. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest breakfast Bible studies ever is in John 21, where Jesus repeatedly tells Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Actually, I, want, I got more for you to do. And, and Peter had gone so low and had been uh, such a failure and yet Jesus took Peter and all of his brokenness and all of his rubble and said, I'm going to make in you now that which I can do through you. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray. And if you're like me, you're, you're thankful for what God has done, but you also want God to do more, and you're willing to volunteer your life for his purposes. And so would you bow your heads and uh, commit to that process? Jesus, in your name now, we pray that through the study of your word, you would have your way in our hearts and that, Lord, you would do a work through our lives, that it would begin, Lord, in the smallest of platforms, that is, in our own homes, and there would be real transformation and real fruit in marriages, Lord, and in parenting and in relationships, Lord, it would be real fruit, real love flowing, and that it would then be spilled over into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces, Lord, and it would be seen and evidenced at church, and, Lord, our community would be changed. And I pray that it would start today in our hearts. We surrender to you. We volunteer for you to have your way in us. Thank you for your word, Lord, which is powerful and able to discern our thoughts, our intentions, and able to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We pray now for mercies, Lord, to study. I pray for graces and mercies for me to teach. And may, Lord, we be edified in this process for the work of the ministry. We pray all of these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, let me just read to you. The context is the Last Supper, the Last 
Passover Seder. Jesus had just finished with the meal and took the third cup of wine and said, take and drink, this is my blood, a new covenant spilled for you. And he took the bread that had been hidden previously and found the bread that had been split and wrapped and all of these things foreshadowing his death and burial and resurrection. And he took that bread and broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And it says in verse 24 that there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is what we studied last week, this idea of greatness. And Jesus never rebuked his disciples for wanting to be great. He had to, though, redirect them for what greatness looked like. Oh, oh, you want to be great? Yeah, let's be honest, we all kind of want to. And he said, well, let's just go ahead and redeem that. Let's redeem greatness and re-identify it, not as the world says greatness, which is me, myself, and I, a bigger me, but greatness in God's standards and economy is one of others, of one of serving one of making others great. And so Jesus gave this lesson on what it means to be a servant. Look at verse 27. At the very end, he said, yet I am among you as the one who serves. He says, guys, I'm not gonna ask you to do anything I'm not willing to do first. I am I'm God. I came down here and humbled myself, was born of a virgin, lived in a marginal, menial society, lived in poverty. I was my dad's carpenter friend for 30 years, and now I'm here. I, I did it first, and so now I'm asking you guys to serve as well. And Jesus here models uh, two things. When he breaks this bread and he shares this cup, he says, I'm the Savior. I'm the Passover lamb. I am the savior of the world. And then he goes on to say, not only am I the savior of the world, but I'm also the servant of the world. I'm not just the savior, but I am that. But I'm also a servant, but I'm also not just a servant. I say that to say this. There are many who examine the teachings of Christ, and they esteem him greatly. They say, oh, Jesus was amazing. Guy was a total servant. Turn the other cheek and pray for your enemies and feed the poor. And, and, and we all see that in Jesus, his benevolence and kindness and people want to be like Jesus, and they follow the golden rule, do unto others as they would have you do unto yourself. Well, I don't know how, I might have botched it right there. You know, they, you know, obviously, I haven't read this book yet. But so, and, and Jesus is great among leaders, and yet they make a mistake. They make a mistake. They fail to also crown him as Savior and King. He is both Savior and King, and he's also a suffering servant. He's both. And as you sandwich those together and understand that not only are you saved eternally and forgiven for your past, yeah, but you're also transformed, listen, into actual earthly good. And this is where the church becomes the salt of the world and the light of the world. Salt and light are both good. Mark 9, 49, salt is good. Okay, for you with high blood pressure, it's not as good, but <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> And Jesus intends to save us in order that we would serve others. It's really that fun. This will change your life, moms, dads, coaches. We, we understand this to a degree. But let me just talk about that first uh, precept. Okay, Jesus is the Savior before he's the servant. And I would say it as simple as this. Jesus came for two reasons. He came to save and to serve. But number one, he came to save. He is the rescuer one who could actually and would actually do for you and for me what we can't do for ourselves. This is what sets apart all other religions from Christianity. Every single other religion, way of life, spirituality is in one pile, and Christianity is by itself solo, okay? 
And I don't mean to be superly, uh, super offensive or overly offensive at the beginning of a sermon, but it's just the truth. Jesus says of himself, I'm the savior of the world. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread, I'm the vine, I'm the water, I'm the door, I'm the, the shepherd. I'm all of these things, and there's no other way into heaven except through me. But listen, anybody can come in through me that would simply humble themselves and say, yeah, I actually need some bread, I need some water, I need some fruit, I need a door, I need a shower, I need all that stuff. I can't do it. And you would be saved. And then Jesus transformed you. And I point that out because some of you here this morning are uh, like me, living in the year 2019, there's a lot of different ideas out there. Uh, every other religion, every other belief system, every other way of life is vetted basically on your abilities as being central and most important. Let me just give you a quick rundown. Uh, Islam teaches that you're saved by a life of purification and good works, and that Allah will take you to hell when you die. And if you've done enough good works, you'll be delivered from hell. And uh, to this day, they don't even know if Muhammad himself was delivered from hell, and so a, a true Muslim will pray for Muhammad, their founder, that peace be upon his soul. They don't know. They don't know. There's this, I, mean, I don't know, because it's all about what they can or don't do. Buddhism, it's kind of a mixed bag uh, of teachings, and it's based on different eras and locations, and uh, really there's no consistent teaching on the afterlife, but the main premise is that life leads to death and then reincarnation and rebirth, and then death and reincarnation and rebirth, and the Buddhist real hope is that in one of their lives, finally, they actually won't be reborn. They'll just cease to exist. They call it escapism. They just, hopefully, hopefully, I'll do this right, and if they don't do it right, they'll be taken through a series of judgments and hells, which, by the way, if you do a little study in Buddhism or Tibetan Buddhism or, or go around the world and really study this out, there's certain, they have all kinds of different uh, demons that torture you forever and ever, and ice hells, and all these things that put fear upon their people, hoping, their main hope is just to disappear forever. And Buddhism was actually created as a way to uh, tolerate and deal with suffering that would never end with the hope that their lives would be snuffed out forever. So it's all based on what they can do. Jehovah's Witness, they steal portions of the Bible uh, out of the book of Revelation specifically. And they say that when you die, uh, nobody goes to heaven except for 144,000. Now, I did just a little research last night. Did you know that Lincoln County and Lane County, okay, is the total of 144,000 people? So as long as it's us, I'm good with that. You know what I'm saying? I'm kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding, but I'm kidding. But I'm kidding about some of those things. And I just thought, 144,000, what a lame party. <laughs> like, heaven's way bigger than that. And they just, it's, you know. And I actually had a Jehovah's Witness at my door one time. I said, wait, stop right there. I said, you want me to take your book and, and be one of you? You want me to be one of you, right? Yeah. I said, are you going to heaven? And the person said, no, I'm not going to heaven. I said, I don't want anything to do with what you say. I said, don't, I don't want to be a part of you. You're like, you have no good news, and I actually forbid them. I said, I forbid you to talk to my neighbors or to be in my cul-de-sac ever again, and they, they stopped. They said, I don't, I don't think you can do that. I said, yes, I can. You know, I shut the, <laughs> shut the door. I said, You're not allowed here. And I'm actually not allowed to, but it's fun. You know, it's fun. No good news there. <laughs> Pray for your pastor. Thank you. I was doing some research last night, and again, this is all just kind of the, the surface of these religions. Mormons, they believe that you'll be saved if you carefully follow their 12 steps of church membership and obedience, and only if you follow those 12 steps will you be saved, and even that is with uncertainty. Even that after you die, there'll be people baptized for your death, hoping to get you entered into the celestial kingdom, and, and all of it is just, it's, it's all on you. That's what I'm saying. It's all on you. 
Everything is you. If you're, Islam, if you're whatever religion, even the Baha'i, the Baha'i believe that they're saved over a lifetime of devotion and good works, and even then they die with an uncertainty within themselves. And you might be here this morning saying, I'm not any of those, and I'm not even a Christian, or maybe you're watching online. Uh, non-believers, they have their own religion, and their religion is to do good. You ever met that person? I'm just going to be good. I'm going to be a good person. Like, I don't follow any, any way. I'm actually a really good, and, and these good people, they are really good people. Like, have you met these people? They're really good. They actually make you look kind of bad the way you drive and the way you talk, and like, man, dang it, you actually are pretty good, you know? And, but to me, I'm like, that's not good enough. I'm good, good for what? Good, better than who? And in on it, here's the, the slam, is when someone says, I'm just going to trust in my own goodness, Okay? which I'm for being good. We should be good. We should strive to be good. But when you say I'm going to trust in my goodness, it's a denial of Jesus and what he's done. Jesus came and died and said, take this and eat, take this and drink. This is what I'm here for. And when you say, you know, I appreciate you, Jesus. You're really a good teacher. And man, I got nothing against you, but I'm also not for you. Okay, at that point, you're separated from him. And you might say, I'm a good person. This would be, to me, like an astronaut saying, well, I'm just going to be a good astronaut. I don't need a spaceship. I'm just going to be real good at it. So, <laughs> like, well, you, no, you can't get to space without a spaceship, you know? And you're going to burn up or die. Like, you've you got to have a vehicle that's going to save you and get you where you need to go. And that's how Christ is. I, just, I stress that. I think it's important today. The Lord put it on my heart to make sure we know that Christ is the Savior of the world. Primarily, it's what he came to do. Now, again, I'm, I'm stressing that because I'm going to contrast this in a minute. The other side of the coin is Jesus said, I am a, among you as one who serves, verse 27. He says, I want you guys to go be servants now. And once you are saved, you're saved to serve. But you will not be saved by your service. You are saved to serve. You are saved and born unto good works, the Bible tells us. As a matter of fact, one time Peter got arrested. This Peter who we're studying today, he was arrested in Acts chapter 4. And he had healed a, a man who was blind and lame. And when he healed this man who was lame from his mother's womb, he got arrested and they asked him, by whose name did you do this miracle? Classic verse, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He, talks, he says it's Jesus Christ. They gave him an out. He could have said God. He could have actually said Yahweh gave me the power and they would have released him. But instead, he buckled down, he doubled down, and he said, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, Jesus Christ. It's that simple. It's that important. You're the 9 a.m. church service. You guys know this. You guys get this. You understand this. If there were any other way to get to heaven, if, if Buddhism worked, if the Taoism worked, if, if, if being a monk worked, then Jesus would not have had to brutally be murdered and die. He wouldn't have done it. The Father wouldn't have subjected him to that if there was three ways into heaven or seven ways, or ten ways. There's one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. And he offers himself, by the way, as a suffering servant who comes and gives himself in order that others might be served so they might be saved. So he's the model, not only of suffering and serving, but he is the Savior. And here, here's my point, is that Jesus teaches us now to serve. He says in verse 27, I am among you as one who serves. And he says that because he tells his boys, I don't want you to be like the rest of the people in this world. I want you to be different. I want you to serve others. And we get it twisted, don't we? 
in and of yourself, even if you're a Christian here, how many of you guys still have a little bit of selfish inclination still you know, within you? you know? I'm not talking about your spouse, I'm talking about you. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you got, man, you're saved, woo, forgiven of these big sins, but man, you still got some selfishness. You still want to be great. And Jesus comes in, he says, no, no, just so you guys know, I saved you. Are you guys, are you saved? Amen? Anybody saved in here? Amen? Can I get an amen? Okay. Okay. Are, are you serving in here? Anybody in here see yourself as a servant? Can I get an amen? It's a little weaker. A little weaker. Amen. <laughs> Way weaker. Oh, man. I read this to you last week, that quote from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. that, uh, you know, anyone can be great. Anyone can serve. But you have to be overcome. You have to have your heart changed. You have to see what Jesus has done for you, and then you rise up and you become a better spouse, a better parent, a better neighbor, and you want to serve. You want to, you want to deny yourself and give yet again. And I've been married for almost 18 years, coming up on 18 years this June, and, and God has given to me a, a mandate to suffer. I'm just kidding. To sacrifice. <laughs> to sa- <laughs> scratch that from the tape. To sacrifice <laughs> for my family, for my wife, to serve and to love her. Oh, man. (laughs) It was actually fun. I was studying this out last night, and I was just like, man, this this idea of serving. Have you ever ever done a task or served with a bad attitude? You ever done that before? Okay, it's called Monday. It's called Monday. You do what you got to do, you know? But you've also done, like, menial tasks or even major tasks with a good attitude. You've done it. And it's really a change of understanding. The heart of every issue is an issue of your heart every single time. And when you see what God has called us to do and what he's called us from, he saved us. What? And he's asked us to serve now. He's asked us to get off our blessed assurance, to put down our own agendas, and to live and to serve for somebody else's greater need. It's actually legit. So last night I was putting this all together, and I think my kids were in bed. They might have been watching something. I'm not quite sure how it was, where the timeline was. But my wife had made dinner for all of us, and, and she was sitting on the couch reading a book, and I kept looking behind me, and I get distracted when I'm at the house studying. There's, if anything's undone, I just kind of like, oh, I should probably do that before I do something more important. And, and so there, the food was still out. It hadn't been put away, and there's like four or five pots and pans and dishes. And, and I kept like looking and going, huh, who's going to do that? You know? And, and I, I even made a few snide remarks. I was like, food's still out. You know, I don't put my head down. It's being honest. My wife had worked hard all day, you know, and, 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 and I, I finished studying. I was done. It was about 10 o'clock now, and the thing, everything was still out. It was, it was fine. You know, it, it'll be there for somebody tomorrow. <laughs> and I, got a, I was like, you know what? You know what? I'm gonna, before I go to bed, before I go upstairs and pray and, finish my, and go to bed, okay, I'm, I'm going to do all those dishes. And I actually do a lot of dishes anyway. It's not that, not that big a deal. But I, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Why not? Why not do it for Jesus to for my wife serving? It's so small because I'm studying this out and it wasn't even, I wasn't mad about it. It was fun. I was like, I get to do the dishes, you know. You guys don't believe me, do you? I'm serious. I'm not lying to you. I'm, I'm serious. I was fun. Look what he says in verse 28. He says, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus reassured them, guys, it's going to be all right. I'm about to die. You're going to serve. I'm going to save you, and you're going to serve others. Guess what? And, and you suffered. I see it. I know. I know. But there's more to come. Your best life is it now, okay? It is to come. 
This life is to be one of service towards others, denial of self. It's okay to get your elbows rolled up and your hands dirty. It's okay to embrace others and love them, meet them in their time of need. It's okay. It's more than okay. It's a beautiful thing. And yet the problem is, is you, just like me, are born selfish. Okay? It's all about, remember when you were born, remember you came out screaming at everybody? You don't remember, but your mom and dad do. Like, whoa, dude, calm down, you know? God changes us. I just think this would be so radical for you, for just for you. Study this out. Last night I was uh, home before dinner, and I'll tell the story a little sensitive in, in this way. And I was, I was at home, and I'd actually put my kind of lounge clothes on or kind of, you know, have my sweats and getting ready to study. And, and, and I got a phone call, three phone calls I wasn't able to answer and got back. And finally got another phone call from somebody that said, hey, can you come to the hospital right now? I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I can, on my way. And I got to the hospital and was able to pray for people. And it was actually really, I had to deny my flesh a little bit, driving in the car, like, hmm, wonder how dinner's going to be for my family, you know. And as I got to the hospital and went to the third floor there and, and met with some friends that are here this morning and, and prayed, and, and then there was more people. It was like a South Beach Church party at, at church last night. There was all kinds of people there. And went downstairs to the ER because there was another friend of mine who just broke his ankle real bad. And, and as I, I prayed for him. And I came back out and there was another friend of mine checking herself in. For, and I was like, I got to pray with her. And somebody else jumped up and prayed. And it was just it was so, so fun in the midst of what didn't look like a lot of fun for those people at the hospital. And yet I was able to just, God allowed me the opportunity to be a part of it. And I came back better for it. Now, we're just so selfish. And Jesus says, guys, there's a kingdom coming. I want you to serve now. Don't get it twisted. Remember that story Jesus told in Matthew 18? He told a story of a man who had a huge debt. And he went to the king, and the king's like, dude, you owe me. You haven't ever paid. You're getting locked up. And the man bowed his knees and said, dude, would you please have mercy on me? Like, for real. And the king's like, you know what? I will. Mercy. You're forgiven. Be, be forgiven. And he left. He's like, yeah. And he walks outside, this story Jesus told. And he sees a guy who owed him 50 bucks. Remember that story? And he grabs, he says, hey, 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 remember that 50 bucks you owe me? I need that, like, right now. And the guy's like, okay, I'll get it to you as soon as I can. He's like, not good enough. And then he reacts in an unjust way. And he calls the cops on the guy and has him arrested for 50 bucks. And the king hears about it. The king's like, wait a minute. The guy I just forgave $50,000 is now holding this guy accountable for 50 bucks? Oh, dang, bro. <laughs> Go get him. <laughs> Let's have a talk. And he calls him in. And he had just been forgiven, and he didn't know how to forgive others. And Jesus saves us. We are saved. You don't have to live like a Buddhist or like a Muslim or like a Mormon or like, like, like a, a pantheist or an atheist or an agnostic or somebody's like, I just hope it works out. Jesus declared, it's gonna work out for you. You're set free. Your debt's been paid in full and that should set us free to then serve others willingly and sacrificially and over and over and Jesus labors with you and I in our, our selfishness. And I want a revival in this town. I don't know about you. I want people saved. I want people touched. I want people to see Jesus and here's, the, here's, the, here's where the rubber meets the road hard. Jesus says, oh, me too. Would you show them me? Hmm? No, I want, Jesus, I want you to show them you. Show them how great you are. He's like, yeah, 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 I'll do it through you. Lord, 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 show everyone in our town how loving you are. He's like, yeah, 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 I'll do that through you. Luke, you go love people that don't deserve it. You go serve people. You go be kind. You go give. I'll, I'll, I'll show my greatness through you. And it starts at home. I want, I want my wife to see Jesus in me. I want 
Noah and Nemo and Acacia, my kids, to see Jesus through me and my neighbors to see Jesus through me. And all of this comes back to knowing that, yes, he is my savior, but he also served me. And he asks me to do the same, to step up, to get into the game, to deny myself yet again. When you feel like throwing in the towel, John 13, pick up the towel, wash somebody's feet, get on their level, do, do it. And the Holy Spirit will anoint you and there'll be beauty and and Jesus promises, guys, there's a kingdom coming too. This is going to be so worth it. You're not going to get to heaven and say, man, I wish I would have done so many dishes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're going to, man. Christianity is to be marked by a lifestyle of service towards others. Once you've been saved, we're saved. It's just so simple. And all of this is from last week's teaching. And I just wanted to kind of uh, remind us and and let it set us free. Let us set us free. As a matter of fact, Jesus in Mark 10, 45, this is one of my life verses. You could write it down and memorize it. He said, the son of man came to serve, not be served, and give his life a ransom for many. That's what he came to do. That's what he came to do. This is gonna help us in all of the aspects of our life. Now, we're getting into new territory. Now, we're gonna study the next four verses together. And this is what's known as Peter's prediction of his denial. And I'm so glad this story is in the scriptures because it tells us four simple things. It tells us who God is and what God does, and it tells us who we are and what we do, okay? Those four simple truths. And when we understand who God is and what God does, it will then help us to understand who we are and what we're supposed to do because we are reactionary in nature. We react to things. The sun comes out here in Newport and we chase it, ah, you know. We react to things, and God displays himself, and we react. And if you know who God is, your life is actually going to work out well. As a matter of fact, if you're new to studying the Bible, a lot of people think it's just a, a, a bunch of stories and a bunch of sayings and history. This is actually a story declaring who God is and what God does okay, in the midst of humanity. Every, every season, every chapter displays who God is and what God does. And the most important thing uh, in the world is that you understand who God is and what God does. Matter of fact, if you don't know who God is and what God does, you're going to get every other thing in your life wrong. It's just the way it is because God made everything here. It'd be like if you grabbed the uh, game of Monopoly and just went around and didn't read the instructions and played it your own way, you're not going to do it right. There's no way you're going to do it right unless you read the instructions. So too, God gave us his word so we would know who he is and what he's doing. One person put it, the most important thing about you is your understanding of God. It's the most important. It's not your IQ. It's not your education. It's not your height or width. It's what you know about God. So let's just read verses 31 through 34. And we're going to ascertain and uh, discern uh, four different points and applications from this text. It says this, And the Lord said... This is right on the heels of this argument of who's the greatest. The way it's worded here, it would infer that Simon Peter might have been the one leading this discussion of who the greatest is. Anybody agree with that? Maybe with Simon Peter, like, just so you guys know, don't forget, Jesus gave me the keys to the kingdom of heaven, so I'm going to be the greatest, so you can sit here, you're off the team, you can sit, you know, and, and Jesus says, guys, guys, let's be servants. I'm a servant, you're a servant, let's serve. And then he says this, and the Lord said, verse 31, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. 
But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me, before you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus here dealing with a very important subject of Peter's future and Peter's failure helps us to understand something about God. Okay, you can actually write this down if you're taking notes today. Number one, God knows who will fail him and how. Did you know that he knows your future sins already and he's made provision for them? Now, if you're like me, you don't want to have any future sins. Can I get an amen? Like, I'm not going to do it again. Just like, Peter, I'll never, well, you know, maybe a few sins here and there, and, and maybe not any big ones. And the Lord looks at you and says, really? <laughs> really? And here's the news about God. He knows your future sins, and he's made provision for them. There are some who sit here today, and you don't think there's any future sins in your future. You don't think there's any rebellions, any tragedies that await you. And you need to understand that Jesus knows exactly what the future holds for you, and he has made provision. Now, as he addresses Simon, look at verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. Let's talk about verse 31. Uh, first of all, he addresses him as Simon, Simon. This is his birth name. You guys know that previously Jesus had changed his name to Peter. Remember in Matthew chapter 16, he said, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you're the son of the most high, the son of the living God. And he said, whoa, Simon, Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven, and your new name shall be Petra, Peter. He changed his name from Simon, which means shifting sand all over the place, unstable, to, to rock, to Petra, to that which is strong. And he changed his name. But here in this day, he calls him back to his old name. It's indicative of what he sees in the future, that even though he's had his name changed, even though he is a devoted disciple, he's got some wandering, some old Simon still left in him. And let me just make a few observations. When some of us got saved, most of us hopefully, when we get saved, there is such a profound difference in our lives that it's as if our whole character has changed, okay? We don't change our names like they did in the Bible back then, like new names and new nicknames, but if you're a believer here, something radically different changed about you when you gave your life to Jesus, Okay? New desires, new direction, maybe a new set of friends, new convictions, new hopes, new dreams, new everything. And I'm hoping you're embracing that and celebrating that. He got a whole new name. Peter was his new name, and yet he found himself going back to his old nature. How many of you guys have uh, been saved, been changed, and yet there's still a little bit of the old you left in there? Just a little bit of the old you left in there? Okay, we're praying for you guys. Praying for you guys. <laughs> My hand was up too. Oh, mercy. And here, Jesus knows this. This is something you have to wrestle with right now. Because who's the most important person in your salvation? Is it you or is it Jesus? See, a lot of these, those religions I just named, it's all about them. Don't, don't, don't mess up. Oh, you skip step 11? Oh, man, you got to go back to the beginning. Oh, well, you didn't do that? Oh, man, we didn't even know. And Jesus Christ declares, if you're saved, no one will pluck you from my Father's hand. It's just the way it is. You might have a dark day. You might have a weird season. You might do some things that you regret for the rest of your life, okay, like Peter would do. But that doesn't mean Jesus failed you. 
If you fail Jesus, the Bible says in 2 Timothy that if we are faithless, he remains faithful still. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what allows us to take communion every single Sunday, to get back in the game, to receive forgiveness again for the sins we've done. And what happens is, is if you've sinned or if you've left God for a season or done some dark things, it's discouraging. And we tend to ask ourselves, how could I do this again? And man, what's going on here? And Satan plagues us with condemnation. And the Bible declares in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, if you're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. It's been taken care of. We learn that through this study. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. Uh, another thing we learn in verse 31, he says, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. And uh, Satan's a, a real uh, demon, if you would, a specific demon. There are uh, hordes and myriads of demons. Those are fallen angels. They're real spiritual beings that are uh, uh, venomous and enemies of God and enemies of his people. Satan is one of them. Satan is not omnipresent. He's somewhere at one time. He's isolated. And I find it very interesting that Satan himself was trying to sift Peter like wheat. And for most of us in here, we believe in demons, you believe in the spiritual realm, and if you don't believe in the spiritual realm, then man, what in the world do you think is going on? You know what I'm saying? And let me just say it this way, most of you who are Christians, you believe in demons and spiritual warfare, but if you're like me, you kind of just push it out of your mind, and you go through your day-to-day grind, and it's usually just you and the Lord and some people, and you're trying to figure life out, but life gets tough every single day, for me at least. And sometimes I'll be walking around, what in the world is really going on? Why is it so difficult with my, my friends and my family and myself? And, man, Lord, I'm trying, and maybe I'm not trying that hard. And where are you? And sometimes I just forget that there are demons lurking, that there's a spiritual battle, that I have an enemy of my soul. And he has zero good intention in him whatsoever. The Bible says that the enemy comes to steal, not cool, kill, not into that, and destroy. Man, I don't find any good in any of that. And this is what he wants to do in your life. And I just would remind you, if you're a believer here and things are difficult at any given time, okay, don't discount the fact or activity that the devil is lurking. Probably not Satan himself in your life. You're not that important, just to be honest, you know. He's got, a, he's got other big fish to fry. But there's things going on in your life, and it helps me to remember, oh yeah, that's right. There is an enemy of my soul. And the good news is, God's made provision for us. And the bad news is, there will be a battle. Now, let me just make a, a simple observation here that might go over your head. He says that uh, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Does that sound like a good day or a bad day? In those days, to sift wheat, uh, what you would do, there's various uh, ways, but one of the most common was to have a team of oxen that would drag a threshing board. Uh, it's called a tribulum, and they would drive, uh, drag that over the wheat back and forth and aggravating the, the chaff off of the wheat, and we actually get our English word tribulation from that threshing board, that tribulum that would be dragged over that wheat, and Satan wants to drag over this oxen, you know, and shred you to death and mess you up and jack with your Whole life, and that's what Satan wants to do. But if you really think about the illustration, wheat is of no good until it's been threshed. Wheat's really no good until it's had that tribulum drug over it. And here Jesus is in sovereign control. He says, I'm the Savior and I'm a servant. Hey, Pete, wipe that smirk off your face. Because Pete's over here talking, you know, say, Peter, oh, Simon. It, by the way, in the Greek here, when Jesus addressed Simon, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. The you is plural. He addresses Simon as if he's talking, leading the group. But when he says Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, he's talking to the 12. Satan's just so mad at you guys. 
Then he looks right at Peter. He says, but I have prayed for thee. And he makes it singular. This is, this is the battle that we all face the enemy of our souls. And yet Jesus says, when you've returned, though, I prayed for you. And when you've returned, strengthen your brethren. In that process of trial and tribulation, there is chaff that is removed in you and me, and we become better for it. We become more fruitful. Peter here would be taken low before he could be elevated high and used in the way that God wanted to use him. I like how Jesus says, but I prayed for you. He could have said, hey, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, and man, good luck. You know what I'm saying? He didn't say that. He said, but I prayed for you. Jesus has had a busy week. It's Passion Week. The Bible says, and I don't even know if you guys believe this, because I have trouble believing it. The Bible says that Jesus right now sits at the right hand of God and ever lives to make intercession for you. Now, let's just, do you, do you believe that, though? Well, he prays for some people, not me. Here he addresses Peter and the boys. And he's in total control. And if you study the scripture, when it pertains to Satan, Satan came into the kingdom of heaven in Job chapter one and targeted Job the man. And God put parameters and said, you can't do what you wanna do, Satan, but you can do these things. God high controlled that tribulation in order to produce fruit in Job's life. And there are certain things that you've gone through that you might be, what happened here? And the Lord would say, that was Satan sifting you like wheat, but I prayed for you prayed for you during that time and you in your humanity might object time out i didn't ask for that i didn't want that i don't need that and the lord says you're going to have a testimony and you're going to now strengthen the others the brethren when you return to me god knows exactly what he's doing and he prays for him. as a matter of fact uh, notice that jesus prayed for him but he didn't pray the way that uh, maybe i would want him uh, to pray look at verse 32 but i have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Stop right there, eyes up here. If you fast forward to verses 54 through 62, we'll be there in about a year um, as we keep studying through. Uh, it shows the fruition of this, where Peter denies Jesus. He flees. He weeps bitterly. It's horrible. All this happens. And Jesus says, hey, Satan's going to try and take you out, bro. But I prayed for you. What did you, you pray for? That your faith wouldn't fail. Well, did you pray that the whole trial would just disappear? Did, did you pray that Satan would have any access to my life at all? No. Did you pray that it would be easy? No. What, what, are you, what exactly are you praying for, Jesus? Um, it's a good question. What are you praying for in my marriage right now, Jesus? What are you praying for in my life? Lord, are, do, you, do you see what's going on? Lord's like, yeah, you're getting threshed right now. The oxen are jumping on your head, man. And, and you're like, okay, well, are you praying for me? He's like, yeah. What part are you, are you praying for an easier load? I'm praying for a thorough work to be done in your character that you might be strengthened, return to me, and then serve the brethren. That your testimony might be good. That you might have something to offer them. A basket of wheat, if you would. Fruit. With no chaff. You guys know that Peter was chosen by God, but he was a little rough around the edges, right? Okay. And Jesus is like, let's go, Pete. It's going to be awesome. And Pete's like, who should I kill first? He's like, no, nah, that's not how we do it. <laughs> Pete, calm down, man. And Pete had to be threshed in order to be purified, to be used the way he would in the future. You and I, same, same deal. Lord, why am I going through this? Lord, why is this difficult? Why, is, why does this keep coming up time and time again? Lord, I'm purifying you. I'm pure. I love you. What are you praying for? That your faith wouldn't fail. Even in your failures, 
in your achievements, in your sin and successes, oh yeah, there's gonna be failure everywhere. What is God more, incur- more impressed with and more interested in? Faith. Faith to him is more precious than gold that perishes by fire. Did, didn't Peter say that? He's testing us. He's okay with the test, praying that we would come out the other side. Another thing we can learn from this, we can look at verse 33 real quick. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. How many, how many of you guys think that Peter was like honest when he said that? Not a trick question. He was totally honest. He's like, dude, I'm ready to throw down. Like, he was honest. He, he was ready to go. And here's the point. Even the best among us fail. Peter was with Jesus for three years. Peter was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Peter would be used in an incredible way. And yet Peter had weaknesses. Peter was targeted by the devil. And I think this is important for you to know about yourself, to not beat yourself up or beat others up so quickly around us. Peter was the best among Christians that we know, maybe outside of Paul. And even he would find himself going down. He's the pick of the litter. And here's what we learn. Even the best of us fail. Now, if you know Peter's story, you know that he denies the Lord three times in just a few hours. He, he actually wasn't even under arrest. He wasn't in duress. He was standing by the enemy's fire. And he was targeted by a few quizzical people, the third of which was a little girl. Don't you know Jesus? Nope, nope. And we read that. We're like, come on, Peter. Where's your backbone? Where's your spine? And yet, if you're like me, how many times have you denied your allegiance to the Lord? How many times in your workplaces somebody said a joke or used the Lord's name in vain or bashed the church and you just denied the Lord in that way? You know, it's not maybe the time for confrontation or even conversation. I understand that. But I, for one, have done exactly what Peter demonstrates for us. As a matter of fact, it's not a matter of if we will fail the Lord, but what we do after we fail the Lord. All the apostles deserted Jesus that night, every single one of them. Two betrayed him horrendously, Judas and Peter. Two failed miserably. And yet, their stories don't end the same. Peter would be sifted like wheat. And yet, Peter would run not from the Lord, but would run to the Lord. Judas would not run back to the Lord, but would instead take matters into his own hands. And it's not... A matter of if, it's a matter of what we do after we sin. Look at verse 32 at the end there. I want you to see we're jumping back up. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Okay, here's the third point if you're writing these points down. Uh, God uses our story for his glory. He tells Peter specifically, I want you to tell others your story in order that they would know who I am and what I do in order that they would know who we are and what we do, humans. So we would understand exactly what life looks like and what Jesus does in the midst of our lives when we fail. Peter here was so full of himself that he didn't see that this would be at his own cost. And I'm, I'm positive that Peter meant it. Uh, he was willing, but he wasn't ready. Ever been willing and not ready? This morning was actually cool. Kevin Casado was up here praying, and uh, we were praying, and he prayed this prayer that reminded me of Peter. He said, he prayed, Lord, I pray for the people that come to church here today. We prayed at 8.30. And he said, I pray for everyone that comes to church here today and everyone that thinks they know it all. (laughs) 
It was so cool. I was like, dude, because here's Peter. No, Jesus. Dude, you know what? These other 11 bozos, you better watch out for them. Okay, I'm ready to die, go to prison. Like, I got you, bro. Me and you can run this thing, you know? I'll be Robin, you be Batman. We got it. And he thought he knew it all. And what happens is, is in our know-it-allness, we miss a lot. And the Lord has to allow you and I to have those weak moments where all of a sudden our eyes are opened up. We're like, you know, I, I actually might not know at all. I actually might not know much. I actually might be part of the problem. And when you become a lower, pliable, teachable student, magic begins to happen where you begin to learn who the Lord is and be usable. Look at verse 34. Jesus responds, then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. History tells us that there were critics of Peter after the resurrection, that everywhere he would go, they would say, when he would walk by, just to mess with them. Sounds, sounds about right. Just tr- trolling him on the streets. And you can imagine every time the sun rose, you'd hear that rooster crowing. And, ah. and the Lord said to him, it's going to happen, Pete. Why, why would this happen? You guys know that Peter would go on then to write portions of the New Testament. He would write First and Second Peter. If Peter did not fail in this way, deny the Lord three times. We're going to study his story in, in a couple weeks when we get there. If it didn't happen, okay, the parts of Peter, Simon, the parts of him that remained would have found their way into First and Second Peter, would have found their way into Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 10, where Peter preaches his very first sermon ever and 3,000 people are saved. He preaches forgiveness in Jesus. His second sermon, 5,000 people are saved. He goes to a dinner luncheon at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, and all of the Gentiles in the world are offered salvation. Pretty big deal. And when he writes First and Second Peter, he tells the pilgrims, the sojourners, the ones that are in trouble for being Christians, how to act. You know what he says in First Peter 3.15? He says, when you're asked about the hope that you have in you. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, reach into your cloak and grab out a dagger and cut their ears off as fast as you can. Because that's what he was going to do the very next day. But instead he's like, no, no. What I want you to do when you're asked about your faith, I want you to with meekness and with respect and with hope, give them an answer for, for the faith that lies within you. Peter was changed in the chastising and in the sifting. He became a different person. And let me just end with these thoughts. Jesus made provision for his sin. He knew who was going to sin. Even the best among us fail, and he wants his story to be used for others. And here's the last part I would say. Jesus has returned to me. If you know Peter's story, maybe we'll study it out in the next couple of weeks, you know that Peter would eventually run from the Lord during those 40 years. He would quit his disciple job, go back to fishing, and Jesus would pursue him, and they would have that breakfast at the beach, John chapter 21, on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus would prepare for Simon some fish and chips there for breakfast. And Simon would actually swim to him. And Jesus asked him three questions in a row. Remember the questions? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? (laughs) It's like, whoa, three, three times. He asked him three times, do you love me? And each time he said to Peter in response, then feed my sheep. Then feed my sheep. Then feed my sheep. If you've run from the Lord at all, 
If you've denied him in your lifestyle, if you've denied him in what you're doing, did you know that you can return to him right now, today? You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. The way to combat a distance with your relationship in Jesus is to, dare I say, have a meal with him, to have breakfast with him, to have fellowship at the table, to be restored. Did you know that when they had that meal there in John chapter 21, Jesus could have said, you know what, Peter? You're kind of a coward. And it would have been true, right? But instead, you know what he said? Do you, lo- do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. You know what else Jesus could have said? He said, Peter, you have a deep-seated fear of man. You're just afraid of what everyone's going to say. That's why you blew it. He, is that true? He could have said that? He didn't. He said, Peter, do, do you love me, man? Do, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. He could have said, Peter, you're a, you're a liar, You lied. Jesus didn't say that. Peter was a liar. He had fear of man. He was a coward. The problem and the solution are both linked in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you really love me? It's that simple. If you're not having fellowship with Jesus, if you're not intimate with him, if you're not eating, if you're not there, your cowardice, your lying, your fear of man, all that stuff will just take over your life. But the biggest issue is do you love the Lord? That will keep you safe and make you usable and give you a message of servanthood to the rest of the world. That will make you the person you want to be. I've said it before. The heart of every issue is an issue of the heart. And I had to take a step back. I'm going to have Ryan come up and lead us in a, in a closing song now. Because the, the enemy wants to sift me like wheat. You can imagine the... the, the spiritual warfare that a pastor goes through. You can imagine the difficult days. It's no different for you. And every once in a while, I'll sit there at the end of a week or at the end of a, a day even, say, what happened today? What was that about? Man, I don't like anything I said. I don't like anything, anything I did. It's just a crazy, Lord, what's the problem here? And the Lord would ask you and ask me the same question. Luke, do you, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Well, do you, do you, do you that's the issue though, Luke. I'm gonna ask you three times in a row. Your love for me. And if your love for Jesus, if your friendship with him, your relationship with him is protected and promoted, if that's the most important thing about you, everything else will have its way and work out just fine. I promise you. And you don't have to worry about the strife in your marriage or the difficulty here, how hard that is if you're tight with Jesus. And so my invitation to you this morning is to come back to the Lord and to have fellowship with him again, to repent Oh, but I'm still a coward. I'm still a cheat. I'm still a weirdo. I'm still a sinner. All that stuff's going to be there. God has made provision for your sins. He knows the future. That's why he came to die. That's why he came to suffer. That's why he came to give himself a ransom for many. Peter did not deserve Jesus to meet him on the beach that day, to make food for him, to put a hand on his shoulder and say, Pete, Dude, I'm not, I'm not done with you. You denied me three times. You're a coward. You're a liar. You got fear man issues. I, that's why I died. What I want for you, Peter, I want you to go tell people how great I am. I want you to live in the shadow of my greatness, Pete. I want you to be forgiven. You who are here this morning, you have failed Jesus. You failed him time and time again. Jesus has not failed you. It's not about you. It's about your Savior. 
He is a better Savior than you are a sinner. That's the good news. He saves. He picked Pete on purpose as an example of humanity. And he died. And he paid for your sins. And when we take the bread this morning, and when we take the cup, we are saying, Lord, your death for me, your blood, your broken body for me is enough. Lord, I'm a liar. I'm a coward. Lord, I'm a cheat. I'm a... ah." And the Lord would say, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. All right. Then go tell others about me. Go be salt. Go be light. Do I deserve it? No. Can I earn it? No. Can I even maintain it and keep it? No. He can. He can. Jesus does not fail. Fathers, we come to the table now and celebrate what your son has done for us. We do so examining ourselves like the Bible says, and we proclaim your death until you return. Lord, we take the cup and we take the, blood, or the bread and we know, Jesus, that it represents your body and your blood spilled for us and broken in our place, that we can have forgiveness of our sins. And if you're here this morning and, and maybe you're a Christian or, or you're gonna become a Christian today, today's your first day, and you need forgiveness, you wanna, you wanna repent and say, Lord, Lord, I love you, forgive me of my sins. Lord, make me a new believer today. Or maybe you're an older believer, a Christian, but you've just been, you're, you're, out, you're, you're not where you need to be. You know it. You don't even know what to do, but you need to run to Jesus today. Would you right now, in your sin and in your need for forgiveness, would you raise up your hands right now in Jesus' name? Do business with him. Just be saved here. If you're not a believer and you want to be saved, raise up your hands right now and say, Lord, save me so, so I can be a servant to others. Save me. That's the primary reason you came. Save my soul. Forgive me my sins. If you're a believer here and you, you need to come back to Jesus, you want to love him greater, would you raise up your hands right now? Just join these. There's hands everywhere. Just hands everywhere. Lord, in Jesus' name, we need you. We love you. And I pray, God, you would anoint those whose hands are up and those who are sitting and those who are about to commune right now in Jesus' name, that we would love you to a greater degree. That's the issue. Lord, just take over our lives. Satan's trying to sift us like wheat, and Lord, you're even allowing that to happen in some areas. I pray that our love for you would remain. You can put your hands down. As we come to the table, Lord, be honored in what we do. We proclaim your death until you return in Jesus' name. Amen.